Hi everybody, Mike Wardrock from Encounter Church here, and thanks so much for tuning into our podcast. Our prayer is that through this podcast, you could have an encounter with Jesus that will change your life. And now get ready for an inspiring message from our teaching team. Well, welcome to church. You have come at a great time. We're in the middle of a series called The Renewed Normal. This is how we are kicking off our 2021, The Renewed Normal. And the idea here is that the phrase, the new normal, just got beaten to death and then some during COVID. But as people of God, we're not about just taking the new normal and going with it. We're actually saying, no, 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 as people of God, we believe that there's spiritual renewal happening in us in Jesus' name. And it begins in our hearts. It starts with our hearts' affections because we are actually emotional people, whether we'd like to believe it or not. We begin with our emotions and the affection of our emotions and where they go. And we begin to do a work on our heart. And then we start to renew our minds and we align our minds with the mind of Christ and begin to deliberately make choices to align ourselves that way. And that's where we've gone in the last two weeks. And here we are at week three. Week three is the body. Everybody say the body. Yeah, it sounds better when you say it. The body. That's right. And so I'm really excited to bring the word tonight. And I know God is longing to speak to you and connect with you in your spirits. Now, when I talk about the body, I'm really conscious that I think of I don't think of the body at all unless I'm hurt, really. Like, that's, that's pretty much the only time I pay any attention to it whatsoever. Uh, this morning, I was sharing that this week, I went to the dentist, and, you know, the dentist, whenever she looks at me, she has this concerned look on her face, uh, you know, like, like as if a parent trying to tell a child, which is probably fair given my flossing, but she, it's like a parent speaking to a child going, now you understand, you're going to have to have feelings like, yeah, whatever, mom, you're not my real dentist, you know, like, it's, <laughs> and she gets... She gets very concerned, but then she gives me a Marathi's cake voucher because she's smart and she likes that repeat business. And then my wife goes to the dentist midweek and she comes back and she's like, oh, yeah, I saw the dentist too. I'm like, oh, hun, how are you? Is it okay? Empathy mode. I'm here. I'm ready. I'm engaged. She's like, the dentist told me it was a privilege to look at teeth like mine. Like, Come on. Come on. That's outrageous. When I was a little kid, I was about 10 years old, and like most little Australian kids, especially little boys, just a total spud, running around, getting sunburned, having a great time. I was up in Port Hughes, where we had a bit of a holiday house, and I remember it was super hot one year, and my parents were like, you need to put sunscreen. I was like, oh, whatever. <laughs> Done. All right, running around. And for the first time in my life, my lips got sunburned. Has anybody have had sunburned lips before? Keep that hand up if you've had badly sunburned lips. Because if you've had it, you know, and if you haven't, then you haven't, and, and don't worry about that. So I was about 10, I got badly sunburned lips, and that means not only did I get that burn across them, but they began to split. And then the pus began to come out, and, 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 and on like this is what it's like. And it's 36 degrees in an air-conditioned place. I'm burned all over, but it, I can only feel my lips. And I'm just like in a ball of emotion and sorrow, just going, I never knew my lips mattered before. Oh. Years later, I met Jenny, and I, I learned that lesson again, but it's, you don't need to hear that. Oh. Here's what I want to tell you about the body, though. We don't notice that until suddenly something goes wrong. It's like that a lot in our lives, right? We don't notice something important until suddenly it goes wrong. And I want to share something very important about the body before we, before we get started here. And that is, you ready? You ready for this? Yeah. I want to talk about 
the problem we have as Christians as we talk about the body. Now, the problem we have as Christians when we talk about the body is this. When we begin our walk with Jesus, it usually begins with some sort of heart connection. That is, God is speaking to us through the Holy Spirit. Our hearts are inclined towards Jesus. Our affections are inclined towards Jesus. So we make this decision, mental decision as well, to follow Jesus. And we begin to renew our mind like I talked about before. And as we renew our mind, God challenges us on our behaviors. And do our behaviors match our passion for God or do they actually reflect something entirely different? And so as we begin to do that, our behaviors start to change. And actually in quite a radical way in some ways, like maybe you were somebody who went out and got hammered all the time and and you're actually changing that behavior. Or, you know, there's a variety of different things you could be doing. So we change these behaviors and we become different people. Then we turn around and look at the world outside. The world that has not had an encounter with Jesus, has not made a decision to renew the mind, and is exhibiting a whole bunch of different behaviors. And out of our experience, we pour judgment on those who have not had that experience. And so we, having gone through this heart transformation and this mind transformation and this bodily transformation, somehow become these judgmental hypocrites. And as we turn and we pour this lens that we're meant to be applying to ourselves on the world outside, the world outside turns back to us and goes, you guys suck. Why are you pouring your judgment on us? So they begin to judge us and they are right to do so. Our mission as followers of Jesus is not to look at people outside the church and go, how dare they? But to look inside ourselves at the sin and brokenness of our own heart, say, how dare I, out of the love that I know God bears for me, that I've encountered personally in my life, how dare I live that life? You hear the difference there? Massive difference. One is about self-reflection. The other is about external judgment. That is never the way of Christ. So I want to just put that there so you understand that this is one of the many, many reasons that sometimes people get frustrated at Christians. We try and talk about that from time to time so that, you know, we're not totally blind to this stuff. Let me talk for a second, though, about some narratives that hijack us as we try and follow Christ with our bodies. Because like I said, we've got to put the body later on. Because our bodies are responses, they're fruits, they're outputs. They are not the things we look towards. If you've come to Jesus going, I want to be a better person, you're in the wrong place. Because Jesus is not about making bad people good. He's about making dead people alive. This is a resurrection story. This is why Easter matters. That's why we sing a song like He Lives. Because Jesus comes along and inside of us, He transforms us from these people dead in our sins to alive in Christ. We're resurrected. We're new. We're whole. We're reformed. We're renewed in Jesus' name. And so we have to start asking ourselves the question, okay, What are the things that are stopping us being renewed in our body? We've done heart and mind. I'd encourage you, jump on YouTube, jump on the podcast, listen to those. So here are three narratives I see in the wider world around us that threaten to pull ourselves away from bodily worship of Jesus. The first one is the most obvious one, right? That's sex. Everybody is aware of this. Everybody is familiar with the sex narrative. Sex sells. It is such an old slogan that we don't even know who came up with it. We just know that advertisers use it a lot, successfully, because it works. Oscar Wilde said this, everything in the world is about sex, except sex. Sex is about power. That's where sex becomes a massive idol for us as followers of Jesus. Now, sex has been given to us by God. I'll talk about that later. But it's been given to us in a way to use in a healthy and restrained manner. 
couple of things that are important to know about this. We are emotional people and we are embodied people. That is, our hearts are longing for something and our bodies long for something. We desire beauty and we desire to be beautiful. And that combination can cause us tremendous trouble, even though the inclinations are from God. Does that make sense? That's what we're, I'll just sit that there because you're all aware of that narrative. Move on to a couple of others. We'll get back to it later. Here's the second narrative. You with me online, church? Just say yeah in your living room. I'm going to assume you're saying it. <laughs> second narrative, independence. And by independence, I mean that in the 21st century in Western culture, nobody gets to tell me what to do with my body. It's my body. Only I get to make that choice. That's a really important narrative. Let me run through a few of the ways that this happens. If that means my expressions of sex and sexuality, that's my choice. If that's about abortion and euthanasia, that's my choice. If that's about my health and my fitness or my lack thereof, that's my choice. If that's about my diet decisions and what I eat or what I choose not to eat, that's my choice. If that's cosmetic surgery, such as with tattoos or gender reassignment surgery or Botox, that's my choice. If that's recreational drug, alcohol and cigarette use, it's my choice. Choice and our ability to have it is a huge idol in Western culture. In fact, there are very few things you can't do with your body. I could only think of three things that I thought someone might come and tell me I'm not allowed to do. Uh, The first is self-harm. The second leads on, it's suicide. And the third is perhaps particularly hard drugs like ice. Apart from that, I think anything else that I could choose to do with my life, people would say, hey, you do you, in essence, because that's the narrative of independence that's so strong in our culture. Now hear me, this is not all bad. God gave us choice. We are called to choose to follow Jesus, okay? So independence has a role, but we've got to be careful as to what kind of role. Sometimes it has an outsized role. I'll come back to that. The third one is digital and digital living. Digital is the new physical. The average gamer aged 18 to 45, here you are, (laughs) largely, they will play uh, eight hours a week as an average of gaming. Uh, I said that this morning, and a lot of people seemed really relieved that it was only eight hours. But that's a full working day. And your body is meant to be a gift from God. What are you doing with that eight hours? What could you be doing with that eight hours? See, COVID has accelerated our digital reality. All the things that we used to use as beneficial tools are now requirements. Instead of Zoom being an optional extra, we're all, we all ended up with Zoom fatigue. Instead of Amazon Prime being this like cool, innovative thing, we're now like, okay, we better order everything by Amazon Prime so that we don't have that weird interaction where we have to go down at Woolies and you know, somebody sneezes and everybody looks at them sideways and there's no mask and everyone's wondering even though there's no outbreak of COVID, et cetera, et cetera. And so we have all become digital people. Now, if you live in a home with uh, an in- interactive family, it's not really a big deal. It's really convenient. But if you live by yourself, or if you live with housemates, but you're kind of like ships in the night, you don't connect, you might be getting very, very lonely because we've tried and and created this idea that digital community and physical community are the same thing. One is interchangeable for the other. But the more we delve into the isolation of digital community, we realize that even though it's very important, hi there, online church, (laughs) it is not a substitute for physical community. Now hear me, and I want to talk to online church here for a moment. If you're listening to us online, there are probably some very, very good reasons. You may be wrestling with social anxiety. I just want to tell you, we're praying for you in that. We're believing that Jesus can do a work in that. 
It may be that uh, you are differently abled and you're unable to physically make it to church or you don't have a carer currently. Um, If we can help, we'd love to. Please reach out. We want to do everything we can to help you find physical community. You might be in another country, in another state. That's such a blessing. We want to encourage you, though, to keep plugging in online but to also find a way to do life physically with other people where you can. And if we can help you by helping you start a life group where you are or starting a Bible study or even just a spiritual friendship that will enable you to have physical community, we want to be a part of that. That is so important. So let me just give you that as a blessing online, church. We're going to come back to that a little bit later. So those are just a few cultural narratives about our body, right? Sex, independence, and digital Those are three things rattling around. Now, in the passage we heard from today in 1 Corinthians 6, Paul is writing as part of this series of letters he wrote to the Corinthian church. We think he might have written four. We've got two of them that are in the Bible. And in 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing to a church that is a hot mess. People are sleeping with their stepfathers. Really, really gross stuff. People are uh, openly despising the poor. People are refusing to eat with other people just because they don't like them, even though the body of Christ is meant to come together. Believers are suing other believers. They're all bragging about it. And Paul says, this is not the way of Jesus. So he writes this letter to correct it. And he covers a whole multitude of stuff, most of which sets off all our sensitive triggers in 21st century Australia. But part of what he covers is the way we use the body. And this passage in 1 Corinthians 6 is really pertinent. It comes right off the back of this passage in 1 Corinthians 5, where Paul tells the church, he says, listen, if you've got a believer, somebody who claims to follow Jesus, they're waving their hands in worship, they're being prayerful, yes, Lord. But then the way they live their life is a total hypocrisy, have nothing to do with those people. Then he pauses and he says, just to be clear, I'm not talking about people outside the church. If people outside the church behave in the same way, love them, share meals with them, connect with them, invite them to know Jesus. But if people have come to know Jesus, they claim that they're following Jesus, and then they live in a way that is totally removed from that, don't be a part of it. Don't have a bar of that. Big, big difference. Paul is saying, love those not connected to Jesus. Hold to account those who are connected with Jesus. That is a big challenge for us, and it's where our judgment starts kicking in. But that's another sermon. So he goes on to 1 Corinthians 6, and in it he starts to explore these ideas. He explores this idea, first of all, that the body was not made for sin, which seems really, really obvious. And then he goes further into the even more obvious one, the thing we know about Christianity, the thing we don't like to talk about Christianity, but it always comes out eventually, which is this, sex is designed for marriage. My life would be a lot simpler if I didn't have to sit down with people and say, with my serious face on, do you really think this is going to be helpful for your long-term future, the behavior you're doing right now? Oh, well, if we're going to get married anyway, it's like, how do you know? Are you currently married? Well, no, but like we're saving for a deposit for a house. Do you know how much house deposits cost? Because you could be saving for some time. Well, I don't know if we're ready to get married. So you are ready to accidentally have a kid, but you're not ready to get married. Is that what, is that what I'm hearing here? Uh, you, you are ready to disrespect somebody by not coming into a covenant with them for the rest of your life, but you're not ready to get married. Is, is this, am I hearing this right? People go kind of quiet. I tend not to say it that way face to face, but we're all friends here, so I'll just say it here. You see, 
so much of our life, and I want to kind of end it after this, right? Because I have no desire to be the morality police. It gives me no joy or excitement in life. But I am just so sick of saying again and again, stop having sex with people you shouldn't have sex with. Stop having sex outside of marriage. It is killing you way more than you realize. Let me quickly run down a few things uh, that it is killing us with. Here is a very, very short list. Abortion, divorce, personal betrayal, the foster system, our sense of self-worth, sexual abuse, physical abuse, toxic masculinity, slut-shaming, absentee parents, body image problems, human trafficking. I could go on. These are just some of the things that happen when we take something beautiful that God has designed and given us within the covenant of marriage that is a lifelong promise we make to one another and we take it outside. That's where I would leave that one. I would encourage you, if you're the podcasting type, in 2018, I preached a message called Sex God. You'll find it if you look on your podcast provider and it'll go more in depth in that stuff. Then Paul goes on and he starts talking about the temple system. Now, the temple system was very, very important to the Jewish people. The temple system was, in fact, the way they worshipped. They came into the temple. They brought a sacrifice. They, they uh, gave it to the priest. The priest put the blood on the altar so that there would be a sacrifice on the altar. And then the priest, who had been purified, petitioned God for forgiveness. But we don't have that system. And Paul explains it differently. He says, now... Now we have one purified high priest, Jesus, who has made a way through his own blood so that the presence of God, the Holy Spirit, would rest in the hearts of humans. You are a temple. And if you follow Jesus, you have the Spirit of God in you. In fact, Jesus says, greater things than I have done, you will do. Everything that is in me is in you. He says to his disciples, it's better that I go because when I go, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God will be poured out on you and you cannot even believe the things you're going to be able to do, the miracles, the power, the authority, the healing, the forgiveness when the power of God is not just near you but in you. So we are a temple. And as Paul then explains, he says, so when you sin, and he uses sexual immorality as his kind of main point, but he's talking about it generally. He's like, when you sin sexually, you don't just sin against yourself and your own body, which you do. It's kind of like being mad at yourself and, I don't know, hitting yourself in the head. Like, it's, it's that kind of behavior. Paul says, but because you're a temple of the Holy Spirit, you are also sinning against God in his temple. It's as if you as a priest are bringing an offering before the altar and you're spitting on it on the way. That is the kind of language Paul is using within the church to challenge followers of Jesus. Surprisingly, sometimes they got mad at Paul. I don't know why. <laughs> Paul uses this image to say, you just got to think about the way you use your body. Like he just desperately wants people to be better discipled in the way they use their bodies. And the Corinthians were saying things like, they had these slogans, right? We have slogans. We say things here at Encounter like we believe the best in people. You can belong before you believe. If that's you and you're not a follower of Jesus here yet, you can belong here before you believe. It's good. Corinthians didn't say those things. The Corinthians had slogans like, everything is permissible, which definitely sounds like a 70s commune slogan, right? Like, everything's permissible, man. And Paul would, would quote it and then he'd say, but not everything's beneficial, man. 
Like, you've got to think about this stuff. Just because you can do something doesn't mean you should. And, they, and then they said, ah, oh, the food is for the stomach and the stomach for food, which is their kind of low-key way of saying, if our bodies can have sex, shouldn't they? Which, you know, I mean, our bodies can do a lot of things. It doesn't mean we should do it with them, right? We, it's not a particularly profound argument. It's not like they sat down and rigorously stepped that one out. That is the argument of people who are like, just let me do what I want. Give me my independence. You can't claim to follow Jesus and have that at the same time. And Paul said, well, food is for the stomach and the stomach for food, sure. But in the end, you're not going to have either of those. So what's your point? And so he begins to refute these. And then he starts to unpack that idea where he says you need to flee sexual immorality. And the reason, church, is because sex is about intimacy. Sex is about two bodies becoming one body. The Bible uses the word enfleshed to talk about the way two bodies come together. Frankly, that's a slightly gross word. But it is the word, it it really talks with clarity about the way two people become one person. And what we have tried to do in the 21st century and the 20th century, and frankly, every century, it is a sin as old as we are, is we have tried to write a check with our body that our soul can't cash. We have been, again and again, trying to divorce ourselves from this idea that our spirits, that our minds, that our hearts are involved with our sex lives. We go, no, 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 it's just cool. Tinder is just like the latest iteration of this, right? Sex on demand. It's Uber Eats, but for sex. This is the latest iteration of this same idea, but it's been happening throughout human history. It is a lie we tell ourselves to try and do what we want. And we are leaving behind ourselves a trail of failure and pain to ourselves and to others because of this lie. Sex is far more intimate than that. In fact, in 2004, they did a survey of a whole bunch of married men, and they found that three out of four men that were getting all the sex they wanted were sexually unsatisfied if their wives were sexually unsatisfied. And that had nothing to do with the actual act of sex and had everything to do with the intimacy involved because it is mind, body, soul, and heart together. That is why we've got to pay attention. All right, enough about sex. Here's the thing. 1 Corinthians 6 addresses these first two cultural narratives I talked about. It addresses sex when it talks about the temple and how our body is a temple and we need to be honoring God, etc., etc. And it says, flee sexual immorality. It doesn't say like, hey, tell it to go away. It tells you to turn and run away from sexual immorality. That's how it addresses sexual immorality. Then it shows us that we are not independent. It says, don't you know that your bodies are a temple of the Lord? You're not independent. This is a gift that God has given you. It's not your body. It's his. Well, that's that's a shock to our independent spirits. So 1 Corinthians 6 comes against these two narratives. And I tell you, the way you can forge these together to perform a powerful countercultural witness, online church, in-person church, the way you can bring these together to form a powerful countercultural witness to the world is by choosing to abstain from sex outside of marriage. You do that and it will bear a shocking witness to the world. And they will begin to wonder why and they will ask you questions and they will be genuinely surprised. I want to challenge you with that. But we have that third narrative. 
that third narrative about the digital self. And in the, the digital self, the thing that it really points to, this idea that we have digital community and that it's the same as physical, is it points to our loneliness. Because again and again through Scripture, we're told that it's not good for us to be alone. And Paul goes on to this later in 1 Corinthians 12, later on in the same letter. He unpacks this idea that the body is in fact part of something bigger. That is your body and my body. We are part of a larger body called the body of Christ. And all of us are part of what Jesus is doing in the world. God in his grace is using us to be the hands and feet in the world. But all of us need to do this together. We are better when you are all here and we miss something when you're not. In fact, the body gathers for a reason. We have different gifts. We have different graces. We have different experiences. We have different passions. We have different angles and perspectives that enable us to know one another better and by doing so know what God looks like better because we see more of the nature of God. And when we don't gather in physical community, we miss that. Friends, the church is the answer to loneliness. The church is the answer to isolation. And when we gather as the church, we are meant to gather with every tribe and tongue, with people who look vastly different from us, who think vastly different from us, but who come together under the name of Jesus. We are meant to be a little bit uncomfortable when we gather as the church. If there's nobody here that makes you uncomfortable, either you're a lot holier than I am, or we are not as diverse as a church as we should be. Are there people struggling with homelessness in our church? Are the people who are differently abled in our church? If there were, how would we respond? And the challenge for us as a church is to not do these two things. Number one is to go, guess the pastor will deal with it. I'm just one person. I'm not even that great. Trust me. I won't be dealing with it. Or the second one is to go, well, the church will deal with it. Yeah, but you're the church. The only way people will find home in Jesus the only way people will find transformative, connected community that would defeat the scourge of loneliness and isolation that is threatening to overwhelm our society, honestly, is by you being the church to those who need it. So that those who are on the margins know that they are loved and known. And when they begin to ask themselves why, you point them back to Jesus. Amen? This is the role of the church. We point back to Jesus. We end isolation. But why, apart from this, is it so important for us to care for our bodies? Now, let me give you a different narrative. I've given you a few cultural narratives. Let me give you a Christian narrative. If we're just going to sort of go off to heaven as spirits, why do our bodies even matter? Aren't they just kind of flesh bags for the souls that can end up, uh, you know, later on, they'll just sort of, you know, you ask somebody what they mean by that, and they just kind of make hand gestures. Oh, you know, just, just, just go. Go where? Yeah, heaven. What do you mean by that? And then, yeah. It's kind of mean to do that to people. Here's the thing. In Romans 8.23, Paul writes this. It's another letter he writes. This time the church is doing a bit better. He writes to the Roman church that we have the Holy Spirit as a deposit for what is yet to come. And he says this. We are eagerly waiting for adoption, the redemption of our bodies. Because church... When you pass away and when God comes to make all things new, all things in his image, there will be a new heaven and a new earth and there will be resurrected bodies. You will have a physical, tactile body in heaven. It's in the Bible. Read it. It's great stuff. 
You will have a physical body in heaven, which means that what you do with your body now is a reflection of what is to come. It means that everything you do with your body now talks about what you desire and what's to come and what you trust in God and what's to come. It talks about what you're looking forward to. And Jesus points to a day, he says, there will be a day where you have to come before the judgment seat of God to explain how you lived your life. Now, I think sometimes we hear that and we're like, that's the day where he'll say in or out. It's like, friends, if you're in Christ, if you call Jesus your Lord, if you've repented of your sins and declared that he's your Lord, you're in. Relax. What it will be is an account of our time. And I think when we come into the powerful love of Jesus Christ, that's going to be pretty overwhelming. You ever had to confess something you really didn't want to to somebody you loved very much? Imagine all of that for a very long time in front of the person who loves you more than anyone in the world. I think that's going to be the pain. It's not going to be about in or out. It's going to be about the heartbreak of the moment. So our bodies were made to be redeemed, used with wisdom and purpose for the glory of God and our own good life. So let me offer five ways I think the Bible challenges us in this. Five reasons why we should care for our bodies quickly, I promise. Number one, we are made in God's image. It's a very powerful, very familiar uh, narrative for those of us who follow Jesus. Genesis 1.26 talks about that we are made in God's image. Now, here's what that means. That means that when God looks at you, he sees himself. There is something of the divine in you. Powerful. Second one, we steward God's creation. We are given in the same verse the role to be stewards, to be carers, for God's creation. Now, when we think about caring for God's creation, often we think of being environmentalist, and that is absolutely part of that. To care for God's creation is to care for the environment, but it's also to care for our own bodies. We have to care for our own bodies. There are acts we do to our bodies which are not caring for God's good creation, and that is part of that stewardship. You can't be an environmentalist and disrespect your body, or vice versa. You can't do that. Not to not unfollow Jesus. Here's the third thing. Our bodies model what is happening within us, right? Our bodies are responders, effectively. The things we are looking for in our hearts and with our minds, our bodies start to naturally follow, right? So as we, as we begin to work out what are we doing and the kind of person we are and we think we are, we've got to look at our bodies and the actions of our bodies. Here's the classic thing. There's very few people that I've gone up to and said, oh, what do you think of yourself? And they go, I am a bad person. Everyone in Australia is like, oh, I'm a pretty good guy. Yeah, yeah, I think I'm a pretty good bloke. Oh, I'm a I'm, I'm pretty nice woman, you know, whatever. We don't really look at ourselves and go, yeah, I'm terrible. But we've got to look at our physical actions to answer that question more than anything else. Jesus says this in Luke 6.45, a good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. Jesus is trying to remind his listeners here that our bodies are not just reflections of God's design. They are also reflections of our desires. The way we live our life shows what we believe about Jesus. So Jesus criticized the Pharisees for being these hypocrites who demanded so much from people's external behaviors while living with arrogant, selfish hearts. Don't be like that. As your heart's affection and mind's attention goes, so will your body's action. Let me say that again. Your heart's affection will lead to your mind's attention, which will lead to your body's actions. So what's going on with your heart? Let's go to number four. Our bodies are temples of the living God. 
Back to 1 Corinthians 6, we talked about this already, but if our bodies are temples to God, we've got to imagine that they are like the most glorious cathedrals you've ever seen and treat them with honor and dignity. Now, we've already talked about how that might look in the context of sex, as Paul uses it in that. I've got to tell you, for me, that's far less of a wrestle than it is so much for diet and exercise. And, you know, that could be a bit of a joke, but it isn't. That's part of stewarding my body. I've got to consider, what am I putting into this? How much processed food am I putting in? How ethical is the way I eat and live? That is part of what it means to steward our bodies well. So, for others of you, it might be about vanity. You're living that influencer life. You're desperate to be seen and affirmed on social media. Only you know if that's true. What is it? What is it you need to put to death? Here's the fifth one, and we touched on this already. We're going to have resurrection bodies. Resurrection bodies. The ultimate destination of followers of Jesus is to have our bodies renewed in the new creation. That's the new heaven, the new earth, in the presence of God. Put simply, you will have a physical body in heaven. So what are you going to do with your physical body now? That's why in 1 Corinthians 9, Paul writes this. And this matters a lot to me, so let me say this clearly. But I discipline my body and keep it under control lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. Now, this matters to me because I'm a preacher. And it matters to me because, I tell you, I, I, I just can't, I, I can't even fully explain the numb sense of grief I feel again and again when I see pastors and preachers in the news after another moral failure. And it almost seems like I just check my watch and wait for the next one. I'm tired. I'm tired of that. And because I'm tired of that, I have more energy to discipline my own body so that after preaching, I myself do not disqualify myself by living as an, as an unrepentant hypocrite. And I'm, I know that's in the context of preaching, but just as before, it was in the context of sex. You've got to apply that to yourself. As you live your life, what is God challenging you to do with your body that means you are not disqualifying yourself by pretending to live one life, but actually living another. I've got to tell you, there is no divide. There's no sacred secular divide. Everything is sacred in your life. Everything is spiritual. The presence of God is everywhere, omnipresent. So wherever you go, something spiritual is happening. God is using you on mission in that moment. So what are you doing with your body? What are you doing with your body? So even that though, isn't the best reason to care for your body. Friends, the best reason to care for your body is because Jesus cared for your body. And in fact, he cared for the human body so much that he cared enough to die for it. Jesus was God made flesh, born into this world physically. And he did this in order to successfully live the human life that we are called to live. One without moral failures and bankruptcies. One without isolation, desperation and loneliness. One without the sin and pride of independence. When we tell ourselves we're in charge of our own lives and you don't get to tell me what to do. Jesus lived a perfect sinless life in the flesh. And then he went to the cross and took the sinner's death on himself on our behalf. It should have been us up there. But he took it on our behalf because God loved us so much that he gave his only son. Not just as an abstract idea, but as a physical embodied person. 
In John 1.18, in the message version, Eugene Peterson writes it this way, God came and moved into the neighbourhood. That's what he did. It's like a new neighbour turned up in Nazareth, a physical person, began as a baby, grew up into a man, Jesus, the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so in Genesis 1.26, we hear that we're made in the image of God. But in John 1.18, we hear that God chose to be made in the image of us. That is the depth of love, the depth of the vision that God has for humanity. Now, here's the thing. No matter what our battle is, no matter what your sin is, no matter what your past is, because we can get very caught up in our past in a message like this, can't we? No matter what that is, God loves you. He loves you and he's crying out to you with arms wide with forgiveness, not with a firm hand of condemnation. The Son of God didn't come to condemn but to save, to love, to forgive. The path is wide open, but you've got to choose it. You've got to choose to follow Jesus for yourself. And here's the other thing I've got to tell you. I was just reflecting on this before as I was praying and we started seeing that He lives and God just dropped this in me. The way we use our bodies, friends, is a resurrection story. It's Easter. It's the body that we put to death again and again through our, our, our foolishness with the way we use our bodies, with the ethics towards how we eat, with our vanity, with our sexual immorality, either imagined or in real life with the way we betray God as a temple again and again and again. I'm talking to followers of Jesus here. I hope you're hearing me online, in person. There's a dead person inside of you when you sin. And the grace of God is that we can come to Him again and again and again. And the problem is for so many of us, we get to this place in our lives. And if we're a follower of Jesus, this shame builds up in us. This shame that, yes, I've said yes to Jesus. I believe it. I'm living it. I'm slipping up. And then we begin to get ashamed and the devil gets in our ear and just pushes us. Yeah, you should be ashamed. You should be guilty. You should feel bad. God could never love someone like you. But friends, we haven't got to the best part. See, Jesus died the sinner's death for us. Nailed up on that cross, broken, pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. He died on that cross. He entered the tomb. And on the third day, he rose again. The physical, resurrected body of Jesus rose again. The body overcame death, overcame the grave. Jesus has taken the dead and made it alive. And he's doing it in you. He's doing it in me. No matter what your past is, God is telling you right now, there's a future for you. There is a future for you. Don't let your past hold you back for the future. God is longing for you. Church, he's crying out. Come home. Don't let that stop you. Come home. There is a bodily future for you in Jesus Christ. That's the message of the gospel, that we don't live this shame-filled, crucified life. The reason we don't judge people outside is because we know how bad we have been and how much grace has been extended to us. No, we live a resurrected life where we live out of the overflow of the grace and forgiveness of God. Thanks so much for listening. I pray that you were able to hear from God in a fresh way today. We would love to hear from our listeners. To connect with us or to financially support the work of Encounter, 
please jump on our website, encounteradelaide.com.au. And if you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to jump onto iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast provider and give us a rating and review. Or share this message on your social media accounts and tag us at Encounter Adelaide. God bless. Have an amazing week.